Hi. You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage and welcome to another episode of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis and I'm joined, as I always am, by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. Another episode. Welcome to another year of the Throwback Podcast. We did it. Still doing it. 2019. I would have, honestly, um, I'm just going to be completely honest with you, Bob. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought in a million years we'd still be doing this in 2019. No, I did not think that either. My wife certainly did not think it. <laughs> and you know what? The only reason it's still happening is because of our Patreones. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash throwback pod who brought this podcast back from the dead. It was briefly dead. Dead. Uh, deceased in 2018. And then um, we said, hey, what if we reached out to listeners and say, do you guys want to keep this thing going? And our listeners, they are great bitches. They said, let's do it. Probably don't want to be called that if I was a listener. I said great bitches. Oh, yeah. I missed that part. Okay, cool. Uh, And that's how uh, Mach 2 of the the podcast began. And we're, we're really clicking now. I feel like we're having some fun in 2019. I'm excited about it. 2019 is going to be the year that really, really just we really take off. What does that mean? Like, like, like maybe get like 30 more listeners. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, it could happen, but maybe. that seems like a pipe dream to me. It does feel kind of like a reach, but here, here we are in the uh, rented garage and uh, to show how, just how, um, forward facing we are mm-hmm. as a podcast, we're going to talk about Hootie and the Blowfish. People are ready. People are demanding it. It's 2019 now. And I can't go anywhere without somebody being like, hey, have you heard the new Hootie? And there hasn't been one in like 25 years, but they're still talking about it like it's new because it's everywhere. But you know what's cool, though? The the reason why, uh, well, it's not the reason why we're doing it, but if you want a, a little hook, they are back together. Hootie's back together. <laughs> they're they're going on tour, Bob. Mm-hmm. Have you, because I know you you enjoy... Uh, aspects of the music business. Have you checked in, Bob, with the venues that they're playing? You know what? I have not. But I, I, I hope you can enlighten me on this. I can. Uh, they're playing the amphitheater circuit. Okay. Which means bigger than small concert halls, uh, smaller than arenas, and far away from the stadiums of their 1994 heyday mm-hmm. of cr- in 1995, Cracked Rearview, one of the most impossibly large albums of all time, Bob. And let's be honest, Bob, it is, is it the most out of place giant album of our formative years? I don't think so. I think it did a lot of things right at the time that made it that way. What did they do right? We'll get into it. We have a lot, a lot of Hootie to get into. It's not like Bob. No, that's not true. It's not like anybody would do an entire podcast about Hootie and the No, but that's literally what we're doing. Wait, that's what we do? To start the year off. That's such a horrible idea for a podcast. I know, but somehow <laughs> we're doing it and people are listening to it. I don't get it. Uh, hey, Bob, guess what? What, Dan? I sent out a prompt on uh, Twitter at ThrowbackPod, and I haven't even looked at these. Which is that's good. Typical. It's also typical of mm-hmm. uh, my uh, preparation of this show. Of course. But here we go, Bob. Uh, what were? Oh, that's good because we're now that we're in 2019. 
you can start really kind of looking back at the decade that was officially. You're right. Let's get to nine. Yeah. You're cooking there. This from Damaged Writing, uh, at Damaged Writing, which, I don't know, that seems... Kind of like it's emo band. Dangerous. Yeah. Scary. What were your live concerts for each decade of your lives? Teens, 20s, 30s. So, like, what was the the one that... Definitive definitive live live concert. Concert. Okay. Of your teens, 20s, and 30s. That's a great question. That is a great question. Definitely one that you'd want to think about while you're preparing (laughs) for the podcast and not just have it sprung on you with a microphone in your face. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I will, let me let me take a crack at it, please. Uh, in my teens, when we saw Cake and Counting Crows, it was like the first real concert I ever went to. Of course, yeah. I saw Weird Al and the Monkees in '86 at Jones Beach, but I was really there because my sister uh, was a big Monkees fan at that time mm-hmm. from Nick at Night reruns. But the first real concert was me, you, and our friend Sam going to see. Uh, 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 County Crows cake opened and your dad I remember drove us home that night we took the bus to we took the bus in which was horrible. the city yeah. which was you know we were kids and the whole experience was just uh, kind of life changing at that point and so exciting to see your favorite band at that yeah point. no I, I would I would agree I'd put that one is that we're in lockstep on teens yeah let's be lockstep in teens alright uh, we probably won't be lockstep on 20s I would say um, Bob, did you know my favorite band is U2? I was going to say my definitive concert in my 20s was when you forced me to go to Giant Stadium to see U2. Does that, is that going to be yours too? I never too? did that. I never did that. Not forced, but I coerced you. You probably. coerced me. Uh, no, uh, me and my buddy, uh, our buddy, Dude Love, um, on October 31st, 2001, uh, drove from Boston. We went to college in Northeastern, and we drove from Boston to Providence and waited online for nine hours uh, for general admission to see the Elevation Tour, uh, second row, easily my favorite concert of all time, let alone uh, 20s, but that would be my pick, 10:31:01, a little post-9-11 U2 show. And you know, I, I know you have thoughts about that, Bob. Uh, well, obviously, they were just gloating. That was their victory tour after U2 masterminded 9-11. <laughs> Put that on the board. You don't even need a board. <laughs> no, you know the answer. They did do 9-11. Yeah. You're right. They well, did it to increase album sales for all that you can't leave behind. And to make it so nine people gave me that album for Christmas that year because there was nothing else to get. We will hit that album eventually. Bob, what would be your 20s? I'm also going uh, shortly post 9-11. I'm going with my 2002 trip to Coachella. Oh, that's it's, a good one. It was kind of like, I know festivals were big in the UK at the time, but the festival thing besides Lollapalooza wasn't really happening here in the U S and Coachella was under the radar, like not a big deal when we went, uh, me and my buddy, Brian, who we ended up living with in Hollywood, his, uh, we, we flew out and got to just be at Coachella, which wasn't even sold out. The headliners were, it was a very, it was a it was kind a of a cool festival, but not the thing, right? It was Bjork and Oasis were the headliners, but I was excited most about seeing The Strokes and Cake and Jurassic 5, Pete Yorn, uh, the Bell and Sebastian, the Beta Band. It was bands like that. And Oasis uh, touring on Heathen Chemistry is, yeah, that's the show you need to see. And Prodigy. The thing I'll never forget about that weekend was that it was such like a, a mellow vibe. Like Queens of the Stone Age was there with Dave Grohl on drums. Like, and then the Foo Fighters also played, but not headlining. Wow. So it was just like a mellow vibe the whole weekend. And at one point, a girl in the crowd when the Foo Fighters were playing 
uh, took her tits she out. She took her titties out. And uh, after the song, Dave, screw her? Dave Grohl was like, hey, uh, to the girl, appreciate it. But, you know, my mom's here. So, like, nobody else do that. Like that was, <laughs> that was the vibe of the show. That's awesome. And it was a, it was just a lot of fun. But seeing the strokes, we got really close to see the strokes. It, this was early 2002. I was so into them at the time. Julian was still like a drunk mess. Yes. They were this band on the rise. And we got really close seeing them play live in the desert with surrounded by mountains. It was the coolest thing ever. We saw Julian several times very drunk. We did. And then era. we saw him sober afterwards. And I like I like drunk Julian. Drunk Julian. Yeah. Um, I, got, I need to think about 30s concerts a little bit more. Saw Billy Joel at the Hollywood Bowl. That was exciting. You know, I like Billy Joel now still. Um, probably, I, I just have no comment. Probably my Tom Petty Hollywood Bowl concert. Because that was the first and last time I saw Tom Petty. And thank you. I uh, thank you for bringing up Tom Petty because otherwise I would have been kicking myself mm-hmm. tomorrow. I saw Tom Petty's last show. Yeah, that has to be it. That's, I was there. I was that's at, definitive. He played the Hollywood Bowl um, last September and died four days later. And it, it was ending his 40th anniversary tour. And then we lost Tom Earl Petty. So I got that's got to be. I mean, we were, yeah. Emily and I, my wife, were about 7,000 rows back, and Hollywood Bowl is a sneaky, shitty live venue. Oh, come on. I, I, I mean, I get that. it. It's iconic, right. uh, but there's a lot of bad seats in that house. But just the fact that it was Tom's last show. Um, I retract everything. The best concert ever was when I saw Dashboard Confessional and Ben Queller <laughs> at a place called Bohagers in Baltimore. I also retract mine. Sorry, Tom <laughs> Petty. And I will go with uh, when we saw the Black Eyed Peas at the Tommy Hilfiger party. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we were in oh, our I 20s. Didn't know, I didn't know we were getting that as concerts. Yeah, no, I yeah. got I got to say. All okay, right, Bob. Fair enough. I don't I ran out of questions. You know what? Let's just keep these there were there were great Excuse questions. Excuse me. We have plenty of questions, but we ran out of time. We got to keep we moving. All right, because we're going to talk crack rear view and we'll get we'll hit the mailbag up again. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I feel like we betrayed our listeners who sent in questions and then did one. We're not good to our listeners. But <laughs> no, I mean it's all it's all out there. But that was literally the first question, and it was a it was a banger. It was, it was a banger. You had to dig in a little bit. Yep. All right. So, Bob, cracked rear view definitely came out in the magical musical year of 1994. Of course, it did. And I think it owned 94. And I want to say the first single, "Hold My Hand," was big in the spring. So I'm going to say it, it must have come out. Fuck. February. 1994. You know what? I am not surprised that's your guess, but you're fucking wrong. It came out in July. Fuck you, Bob. July 5th, 1994. You're a lying piece of shit. You know what else happened on July 5th, 1994? That exact same day? If you tell me Kurt Cobain killed himself. Kurt Cobain killed himself, (laughs) and let's play Serial Mom. No. Um, A a man named Jeff Bezos started Amazon.com. Bezos? Bezos started Amazon.com. Same day Cracked Review came out. Really? Yep. Wow, that's that was a good business decision. For Hootie. <laughs> yes. We should have known. We should have been plugged. Bob, we were on your computer in your childhood bedroom. Uh, you had a computer, by the way, in your bedroom, which... Yeah, I think it was a post-bar mitzvah computer. I was going to say, yeah. I was going to throw it out there that it was uh, post-divorce as a child of Oh, divorce. no, no, we were way past the divorce. This was bar mitzvah. Right, but do you think yeah. because of the divorce, you got a couple things here and there, which you don't take the trade off, but you got a computer. Lori, your sister, no computer. Like the oldest what? son, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to get him a computer. Yes or no? 
I don't fully get where you're going with that. Neither do <laughs> I just think it's cool. Like, I guess I'm jealous because I was in a room literally in the 90s with a black and white television. Yeah. And a bunk bed with my fucking brother. And I love Kevin. And Kevin listens to the show, by the way. Um, and Kevin will so tell he, you. So he must be disappointed when he logged on and saw a cracked rear view. <laughs> yeah, he's probably not listening to this episode. But poor Kevin, who had to deal with listening every night when he went to bed, WFAN, I would just turn on the overnight show, Joe mm-hmm. Beningo, and leave it on all night yeah. and listen. Uh, and we had, a, we had a black and white TV. But you had a computer with internet access in 1994, which is fucking amazing. I don't know if we had the internet yet. It was, we were you getting had AOL because remember we, we ducked AOL. into those chat rooms. It yeah, got a well, little weird. We should talk about the chat rooms when we start listening <laughs> to some music. Uh, <laughs> movies that came out that month. Uh, I was going to play a sound up from The Mask. Don't was, forget about the chat rooms. No, no, we won't. I'll, All right. Yeah. Uh, the Mask starring um, uh, Richard Jenny. The uh, <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> Richard Jenny. Yeah, he's pretty funny in that. Uh, oh, and Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz, who I was. By the uh, way, bad movie. No, it wasn't. It was a bad movie then, and it's a bad movie. movie now. I remember laughing so hard at that movie in the theater. It was perfect. It was a perfect movie, and I was in love with Cameron Diaz. Can we add this to my staple of impressions? Somebody stop me! <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, well, but we should. Oh shit, Bob. We really need to get going on the album, but we cannot leave this out. If if what this show is about is talking about being young and what was going on in our lives at that time, Bob, and this is not I'm not I'm not, you know, pointing fingers because I had my own VHS tapes that had a collection of Don Mattingly highlights, Boomer Esiason highlights, Nirvana Nirvana videos, and then there was a uh, another video that had, you know, things that were on later at night. That perhaps I wanted to keep on my uh, Rolodex. Yeah, your jerk tape. Bob had a tape that was exclusively to catalog Cameron Diaz talk show appearance appearances, uh, because when Mom and uh, Lori, your sister, were out of the house, that is. Shut up, Jay Leno. That is. Shut up, Dave. In the least, that is an exaggeration. At worst, that is a straight-up libel. I did have a tape where I... I remember watching, and I was... Extra- again, I in 1995, I was dealing with a black-and-white television. You had, the, you had a situation where I could go to your house, and you'd say, hey, check this out, and you'd pull it up on your videotape, and you would have Cameron Diaz, who was one of the ultimate... Babes, hot babes. Ba- hot babes. Yeah. A... Of any generation. I don't care. I'd stack 94 Diaz up against just about anybody. No, me too. I was, I, I mean, I still think that, you know, we could have made it when I was 14. <laughs> Her and I, if we would have met. Wouldn't that be amazing? Could have worked out. But never, we never had the opportunity. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I had a VHS that had that and it had music from talk shows and everything. But there was, especially in 94, 95, a lot of Diaz. Right. Yeah. What made your tape different than my tape was that you would catalog um, promotional appearances yeah. of hot girls. Yeah, I, I did. Which I'm not judging. I just, it is we didn't, funny we didn't, we in didn't retrospect. Have, we didn't have a lot. It is very funny in retrospect. <laughs> we just didn't have a lot to go on. I had like TV guides yeah. that had, you know, Cameron Diaz or like later Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. It'd be like, that's all you can get was like the cover of Entertainment Weekly and like two pics on the inside. During the mask promotional cycle, she was on <laughs> Leno 
And uh, I do remember maybe when did Mass come out? Was it a summer movie or what? Here, July '94. Oh, shit. There you yeah. go. And uh, and we were just transfixed by her. Yes. Even with that dopey laugh. I see. I was so transfixed by transfixed by her. I don't even remember you being transfixed by her. It was just me and her. There was just nobody else. It. Nobody I else totally in the world. Totally get it. I yeah. totally get it. What else is going on? Forrest Gump came out. That was a movie. We saw that together. We did. I saw that. I think. God, fuck. I saw that like four times in the theater. With who? Everybody. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What else are you doing when you're 14? Um, I, that was a movie that's kind of taken shit over the year mm-hmm. and recent years for being almost like the "We Didn't Start the Fire" of movies. Yes. Where it's just like it's an uh, overly simplistic. Look back at pop culture for baby boomers, but fuck everybody. Everybody's got to calm down with their like. It was fine. Post millennial takes about what things are in that moment. That was a cool special movie uh, that kind of made you feel good, except for when he did the jog across the country, which was just silly and a you waste could, of everyone's time. But you know what? You could probably circle a bunch of moments in that movie and be like, well, except for this, except for when he invented the have a nice day smiley face. Like there's a lot of well, dumb. Well, no, that was the jog. Anything associated with the jog bothered okay, me. Got it. You know what else bothered me? I mean, Jenny doesn't need to get AIDS. I get AIDS was an epidemic in the 80s. Uh-huh. She does not need to get the HIV. She doesn't need to catch the bug. <laughs> she earned those AIDS, though. You could just tell. Oh, she was a whore. <laughs> she earned those AIDS. But she was uh, Robin Wright. This is pre-Robin Wright Penn. Another comet. Oh, in yeah. In her own what, Princess yeah. Bride. Post-Princess Bride, right. The late uh, William Goldman wrote about her in his book, the, uh, the writer of uh, Princess Bride. Uh, and she was the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life. I get it. Great casting. Yeah. What else, Bob? You tell me the number one. Oh, my turn. Song. In America, in all of the United States of America, in July really? 1994, the entire union of states was this one. I swear <laughs> by the moon and the stars in the skies, and I swear like the shadow that's by your side. I see the questions in your eyes. Mm. I know what's weighing on your mind. You can be sure I know my part. Cause I, I have two distinct takes on this song. So this is, of course, <laughs> I swear by all four one. All right, spell it, Bob. A-L-L dash, the number four dash O-N-E. Whoa. Boom. You fucking nailed Still that, got dude. it. Still got it. <laughs> That's really good. Got what? <laughs> Still got it, guys. Um, two takes. First of all, I remember because this song was bigger than big. Because yeah. this is like the heart of Boys to Men. And this is basically a song that Boys to Men never wrote. But, yeah, I mean, well, Boys to Men was, it. they made hits forever. But this was, Boys to Men had already splashed out with like Motown Philly and their their initial right big barrage and then bands like this started popping in you said bands bands definitely they were not bands, bands. maybe not group. bands groups like this yes started dropping in um, killing it the thing that I remember about all for one was like a bunch of ugly fatties <laughs> no hotties no hotties there was no Bobby Brown like, there's no way there was gonna be staying power there's no JT <laughs> in this band and you know God bless him it was a bunch of like 
kind of roly poly, yeah, like of, a bunch of six and a halfs. You know, one guy. You know, is like a roly poly white, like a roly poly Polynesian dude. All was there a black dude? Wait, maybe it? I think their initial name was just all fours. <laughs> all four or ones. <laughs> all four to ones. Yeah. All four point ones. <laughs> oh, poor guys. Anyway, uh, the, my other take on the song is that. Um, my uncle John, who was a guy I looked up to, and he was in a, a rock band, Beat Six, Rest that, in peace. that toured, um, that toured in Rockland County, mm-hmm. and did quite well. And they put out an album. I remember being at his wedding, and I was like, "Oh, Uncle John's going to pick a cool like first dance song." And when it was uh, "All for One" by <laughs> fucking uh, We're All Fours, <laughs> I was like, "Damn, I'm not getting married because no. that, they take something from you." They do, but you had a cool uh, first dance song, right? Well, it depends. I mean, I'm surprised you said that. Right. In a little while by you too. I was there. You I, were there. You were I, my best man. I was invited. Your best, uh, your first dance was. Um, I don't think you're gonna get it. I do know it actually. Um, Closer it, by Nine Inch Nails. No, it was like a. It's like you're the best thing that ever happened to me. That yes, song, with you got the it. Horns. Yeah, by Ray Lamontagne. Fuck you. Nicely for done. Me. Nicely done. Piece fellow fellow best man. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, listen to the sax. Alright. There you go. But I wasn't disappointed in Uncle John, but also I was like You learned a little something about life that day. Yes. Yes. That's true. And now, Bob. It's time. I'm ready. Is this how every Friends episode begins? Yep. We were on a break. Let me just set the table for the entire rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. No matter what we're talking about, no matter what we say, mm-hmm. you just have to remember from here on out that if you were in a frat in 1994, mm. this is the music you and your frat brothers were listening to. Now think about a frat in 2019. Right. The world could not be more different. Yeah, you're listening to Drake and the Chainsmokers. And bands that you and I don't know because we're old white guys that are so far removed. This was college rock music that you listened to if you were cool. This was cool music. All right. We just have to remember that from here on out. No, it's a great way to set the context of it, Bob. This was like there was a... I mentioned Friends. And by the way, this is... uh, the opening track of Crack Review is called Hannah Jane. Um, there's a Friends episode that completely centers around Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, who was it? Chuck Klosterman wrote about it. I think that he either studied 
friends or it was something there from a, a sex there trust There was a, there was a z- 0% chance that when you intersect Hootie and the Blowfish and friends that Chuck Klosterman right. wouldn't write about it. But there was a, a major, like, um, the episode is about their different um, financial places in the world yes we're all affected yeah because they all wanted to see hootie and the blow blowfish and go see him in concert and only some of them could afford it and there was nothing cooler for to americans in 1994 or 95 than friends you wanted to be the friends yeah that's where the friends wanted to be at i'm assuming madison square garden that night yeah yeah context is important there you go so before, I mean, if you're some millennial listening to our podcast right now. First of all, what the fuck shocking. are you doing? Get out. Tell your uncle to turn it off and move on. Before you laugh that we're doing this, you have to understand that Hootie and the Blowfish. I'm not saying Hootie, they were. We're not saying they were cool to everyone, but there was a general understood idea that this was a popular pop band that was OK to like. Yes. And there's nothing more absurd now than to listen to that song about Hannah who? Hannah somebody? Jane. And think that somebody under the age of 20 would enjoy it. But that's what was happening in 1994. By the way, that that song was a total nothing burger, I have to say. There was nothing to that song. It was fine. It sounded like it was actually mid-album filler to start the album off. Well, I think it's a, it was a stunningly popular album for the the just the fact that it's just bar music. It's like bar rock. Like the best bar band from your, like the County you grew up in. Mm -hmm. And then they became the biggest band in the world for about three months. But by the way, if that song was in the middle of a wallflowers album, uh, bringing down the horse, you'd be like, that's a good song. Right. But bringing down the horse was only popular because of this fucking album. Like it ushered in an entire movement of middle of the road, like A&R, generic rock. Darius Rucker and Dave Matthews, hand in hand, just breaking down doors with John Popper's fat ass right behind well, us. harmonica. didn't hurt our boys, the Counting Crows, either. Did not hurt the Crows. They were a part of it. Here's, they're, all, by the way, they're all complicit. The um, Wikipedia entry, and we've been doing this for a while, Bob. This is, what is it, 2019 now? Yeah, is Wikipedia sponsoring us yet? <laughs> yeah, they should. Or we should be paying them. Something. But um, Probably that. Usually, when I pull up an album on Wikipedia, it, I'm not saying it's dense, but the the intro, it's about it's like a it's a meaty graph that that explains the singles mm. or um, how the album did in the charts. But like an album, like say, Thriller or Jagged Little Pill, which mm-hmm. we've hit on the show, certain albums you don't even need to dig in for the intro, and somehow. Impossibly, <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish have a two-line intro on their Wikipedia entry for Cracked Review, and I'm going to read it to you, Bob. Please do. As I begin a very special song. There's going to be a few of those. Cracked Review is the debut studio album by Hootie and the Blowfish, released on July 5th, 1994 by Atlantic Records. Released to positive critical reviews, it became extremely popular and is currently one of the best-selling albums of all time. 
With a little love and some tenderness. We'll walk upon the water, we'll rise above the mist with a little peace and some harmony. We'll take the world together, we'll take them by the They tease out the chorus, so we have a chance to talk here. Yeah. So this is really interesting because immediately, I mean, this was their first single. Yep. This is what introduced the world to Hootie and his Blowfish. And as I'm listening to it, I'm trying to figure out how I felt about this song in the band in 1994. Because, you know, we just set it up with this was a popular band for young people, but we were a little too young. Hold that thought. I will. I, I mean, it's not cool. I have a lot of warm feelings when I hear this song. Me too. All right, what were you saying, Bob? So, I also have those warm feelings, but I remember at the time not wanting to like this song and not being allowed to like this song, and here's why. Kurt Cobain, remember him? He was the lead singer of a band called Nirvana, Dan? Yes, he died. Well, he killed that himself year. three months earlier. Right. So, for people who were 14... Like you and I, mm. who wanted to like have an identity, right? We latched on harder than ever to like grunge and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and everything after his death. So when something like this came out and was popular, this was for posers. This not was, even posers. Not even posers. This was just like lame. What would in today's nomenclature it would be basics? Like yeah, what we were, what hold my hand represented was basically what the death of Kurt Cobain had wrought, which was no longer is there going to be like respected, cool, edgy, dark music in the center of the pop culture universe. There's going to be fucking Hootie and the Blowfish. Mm -hmm. And what a bad band name. I mean, they never gave themselves a chance. Well, I mean, it's one of the best-selling albums of all time. I think they gave themselves a chance for something. But it also buried them. I agree. Well, that's another discussion. <laughs> but, you know, as we say that, and it is a great conversation topic, let's let's be real. This is a fun, great, like, bar rock song. I like this song, and I remember kind of secretly liking it in 1994, but I would have never said it to anybody in our high school. All right. Now, I'm not going to say I'm calling bullshit, Bob. But at this stage, when this song came out, this single came out, and it was a big hit. It, it was a top 10 hit on, uh, in the billboards and everything. But we didn't know what it was going to become yet. So it kind of seemed like a fun one-off song. After five more big singles come out, then it's something you don't want to connect yourself Oh, no, to. I'm not even talking about like the backlash and like the big sort of they're the biggest band in the world right now. Just the initial, like, here's a happy song with a smiling guy in a bright lit house 
walking around playing an acoustic guitar, we were not allowed to like that right off the bat. If you wanted to be in with the people right. that cared about Nirvana and the grunge movement as, and everything. As we were going into our sophomore, sophomore year of high school, there was never a, like a time where it was cool to like Hootie. So it was a little weird that we were watching Friends, and they're the coolest people we saw on TV, right. and they love Hootie, but we, in a, in a lot of ways, we were even cooler than they were because we didn't. Right, and also... So fuck you, Schwimmer. Well, Schwimmer's just reading the lines. He's got nothing going on, Bob. There's nothing going on upstairs with Dave Schwimmer. Fuck you, Schwimmer. <laughs> but it is the... Whoever's who's writing those lines, they were like, what the kids like? What would the friends like? But I buy it. Like, did you watch Friends? You did, right? I did, of course. Hootie is exactly the band yes. that Rachel would love, that Ross would love. Yeah. Joey would be into it. Chandler would actually be on the fence. I could see that. Phoebe would be ambivalent. Right. And nobody was nobody. Phoebe wasn't fucking to it. Phoebe be fucking. Remember that? That was from like a bit we did two years ago on this podcast. So, so long. She says, there's a one I love the most. But stops not far behind. BBB fucking. She never lets me in. Only tells me where she's been. When, when she's, she's had, had too much to drink. drink. I said that I don't care. I just run my hands. Do or die here. And I pray to God you gotta help me fly away. And just let her cry. All right, Bob. This this album not not dealing with any bullshit. They're saying let's roll out our singles. Let her cry. A big, 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 big hit for the band. In fact, after Hold My Hand came out, which did very well, they rolled out Let Her Cry, Bob, in December '94. Okay. And let's see how it did. Damn. I man. would guess if, okay. if I have to venture a guess on the Billboard Pop Chart. Where to well, go? I'm just gonna say this was the. I'm guessing this was their biggest single off the album. I don't know that, but I could tell you okay. that it was number nine on the Billboard 100. Okay. But it was also uh, number two on the Billboard Pop Songs chart, which I don't know how that's different than their Hot 100, but I, I don't ask these questions. It also peaked at number four on the Australian Singles chart, Bob. The Quite song also received, received the Grammy Award for Best Pop Performance by a duo or a group with vocals in 1996. In other words, another huge hit off this album. Is it a good song? I think it is. I don't think I liked it then. Maybe for the reasons we were just discussing, but listening to it now, it's really good. He's got a, by the way, Dan, he's got yeah. a lovely voice. It's fine. It's like a nice baritone. He's got a lovely a There's lovely a part voice. of the song that I do love, Bob. And when we get to it, I will turn it up. I'm sure you will. 
this was this was in like every TV show and movie for three straight years. Like when like the sad character was looking out the window while it was raining. Ross probably. At some Always point. Ross. Yeah. Schwimmer. <laughs> it was Schwimmer in various roles. In 2008, according to Wikipedia, Rucker stated that he had just listened to the song "She Talks to Angels" by the Black Crows. I get that. Whoa. I get that. Uh, for the first time, and he was listening to a record by Bonnie Raitt. And he wrote the lyrics to the song. I think this is the part of the song I love, Bob. Coming up right here. Let's listen. These songs are just ingrained in our DNA, whether we want them to be or not. Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh, this is it. Here we go. Imagine like the uh, the brothers of Teak arm in arm singing this drunk after a night of just abusing pledges. Right, and we we despite our history with the numeric pigeons, we could never dream of writing a song that could be this popular. But debatable. There's nothing, um, you know, especially dynamic in terms of creativity here. I'm listening to it now, and that actually sounded like. The equivalent of a really bad like '80s Genesis song. Right. It was like whatever. You, it was like combining all the things that would create a hit at that moment. Yeah. It sounds worse now than it did 20 years. I ago. I agree with that. The she talks to angels thing is so interesting because it really does kind of sound like they ripped the song off. a rip off of that song. Yeah. All right, let's move on, Bob. Uh, and I have to tell you, Bob, um, the next song we're going to hear is the song that turned me against. Hootie and the Blowfish. I think I know what it's going to be. want to be with you Bob. all right i know it's not going to be easy imagine the music video never happened which is hard to do i know it's really hard to do because i'm that's what i'm trying to do right now and just like listening to the song as if they weren't the biggest band in the world when it came out and there wasn't a horrific music video with uh chris berman and dan marino dan marino throwing a deep ball to Darius Rucker, who was a huge Dolphins fan. If none of that ever happened and you were just a bro walking through your quad listening to this on your Walkman, I'd be into it. I would be into it in that scenario. Now, still can't listen to this song. I never liked this song. And there's a lot of Dylan references in it, Bob, which I I like that. And you you know what? Great song to slap some devil sticks to as well. 
I mean, he starts this verse by saying, Put it on a little Dylan! And then he mentions Blood on the Tracks. He quotes Idiot Wind, which, by the way, is one of my favorite Dylan songs. It's a great song. Uh, but this is not. He also mentions <laughs> Tangled Up in Blue, another one. Probably yeah. my favorite Dylan song. Is that? Yeah, it probably is. Blood, do... on my tra- Blood on the Tracks is my favorite Dylan album. Are we going to do a close. Dylan pod? You ready? Let's do his Christian rock album. <laughs> if we do or that. His, his weird Christmas album. Um... Anyway, set aside Marino. Yeah. Set aside, set aside Berman. Everything else, set it aside, but then just listen to the song. And th- this sounds to me as slick and overproduced as Susu Studio was in the 80s. I'm getting a lot it. of Genesis, Hootie and the Blowfish um, vibes. As if, were the, they that version? This guitar right here. Like this guitar right here. I mean, it's fine. That's like happy mid '90s, like. No, it's happy music. I get it, and I'm with you. I understand. Again, what you're like saying. the and they came afterwards, but like the Wallflowers or like a band like Cracker, if they had this song, and it didn't have the video, and it didn't, they wasn't coming from the biggest band ever. You'd be like, oh, that's like a fun little countryish right. alt rock. And it got so big, it's. Uh, it's hard to separate. Do you remember my boy, Stephen Thomas Erlewine? I, I remember it. Wasn't he, uh, he was Zuropa adjacent? Maybe, but he's my favorite, like... Uh, oh, right, right. He's the... Critic. Um, critic, yeah. Writes for allmusic.com. Don't like his name. Uh, cycling, just call him S-T-E. Now it seems fine. Kind of like it now. Yeah. Uh, cycling back to Hold My Hand, but it, it, it connects to what you just said. Uh, when he reviewed the album, he said, Hold My Hand quote has a sing-along chorus that epitomizes the band's good time vibes that is kind of wait why are you talking about hold my hand because what is i only want to be with you it's yeah, a, it's a good time vibe yeah definitely. that's their whole thing yes and like we were talking about like how kirk Cobain killed himself like two months before this album came out they Spoil- were spoiler alert by the way if you were born after 1994 <laughs> that's a thing that happened they were an answer, essentially, to, are you sick of grunge? Are you sick of right. uh, people hating their lives? Mm-hmm. Oasis, by the way, did this way better. Yes. Which was, we're going to say it's cool to be a rock star and have fun and get fucked up with your friends. Uh, they did it in a, a cool way, but Hootie did it in a much more kind of basic way, which was just like, let's put some sunny acoustic guitars in here and yeah. sing about how I, I like girls. Are you sick of depressed rock stars, but also don't like people that say the word shine? You'll love Hootie and the Blowfish. Add that to your repertoire, Bob. Thank you. All right, here's Running From an Angel. So they roll out three straight monster hits, Bob. Hold My Hand, Let Her Cry, Only Want to Be With You, and here's Running From an Angel. And Only Want to Be With You is their biggest chart hit, Bob. Good. And then we'll talk about how I have, I have an issue with you after this. Okay. That's fine. Right, this song sucks, so you can tell me. Okay. What's your, your I don't like the way you're, you frame it when you say they roll out these three huge singles. They didn't know those were huge singles. So when you frame it this way in, in retrospect, mm. then you're kind of like setting it up like here was our plan all along. We're going to start with a shit song, roll out three singles, and then go to this crap song. 
they didn't know what the fucking singles were. It's just the way that it worked. They might have known they were some of their best songs, but they didn't know they were going to be massive singles. So I'm putting this on you. Be better in 2019. <laughs> okay. Counterpoint. <laughs> okay. When you say our, you're saying Hootie and the Blowfish. What did I say? You said our. Like me and Hootie? You're saying like they it's like they rolled those out. They rolled those songs out. Hootie did. I'm saying Hootie put together the track listing. No, I'm saying it didn't have anything to do with Hootie. This is peak record machine, what we're listening to. Right okay. Now. The record machine got from Darius and his buddies a highly, highly, highly structured product. I'm sounding like Jane Zumwalt right now, but I, Jane Zumwalt, I have to say. But a product that they can mold and send out to the masses. Uh-huh. They made the decision. They knew what they had here. And Atlantic Records, Bob, said this is going. They knew it was going to sell maybe not 15 million copies. Right. But they said, oh, we got a 6 million seller here. So they stacked all this stuff up. I don't think Darius Rucker and his buddies. Remember the long-haired, shirtless That drummer? guy, yeah. That dude didn't have any say in this. <laughs> Darius, now he does. Darius went on to be a huge country star, which is weird. But he pulled off that transition. He pulled it off. And we, we just overlook his little foray into smooth R&B. That happened in between. Which he did pretty well there, too. Did he really? Yeah, he did a nice job. But I'm saying at this stage, they were just like this portal. They created this content that this this record company blasted out to us and all idiot teenagers and the cast of Friends. <laughs> Mostly and, the cast of Friends. And in reality, the writers of Friends in L.A. and everyone bought into it. It uh, was a masterful performance by the record company. But do you really think, because maybe, maybe this is something we disagree on, do you think that the record label... Before anybody in the world heard it, circled, hold my hand, let her cry, only want to be with you, and uh, whatever's coming next as the singles. Because I don't think they did. I think maybe they circled, hold my hand, and maybe let her cry, whatever it is. I think they maybe circled a couple as potential singles, but... Nobody fucking knows anything. I speak from Again, complete William ignorance Goldman. on the topic. I don't know. I don't know either. But what my theory is. What's your thing? Because we might just have. We uh, are down theories. the road. We're going to have my colleague at NFL uh, media, Matt Money Smith, who now he's the voice of the Chargers and he does a bunch of stuff and he's got one of the biggest sports radio shows in L.A. But once upon a time, he was the program director of K-Rock in L.A., and that dude, no, it was his part of his job was to pick what would be the next big hits. Yeah. And that's all in connection with the record companies. I think that's part of what that industry is about is like, oh, we have something huge here and they can forecast it. No, I mean, I would think that that's a part of it. I think they probably when they when Hootie delivered this album, they were like, motherfucker, we got something here. I don't disagree with that, but I think that for these people, there were people in that forecasting meeting that said, whatever song this is, what's the name of this one? I'm going home. I'm going home might be the next big thing. Pump it up because this is going to be it. No, I hear what you're saying. You, you don't know what's going to really connect. Right. Let's listen to it. This one did not. It was not a single. So there's, I mean, not to sound like we're like cool guys or whatever but i don't think anybody's mistaking us for cool guys that's true but listening to this now doesn't this sound so generic it sounds like infomercial music it's like cialis and the old bitch and the old dude are sitting in the bathtub 
Maybe that's their greatest contribution. Is they, the they, they laid the framework for future infomercial music. And they were just like a bunch of like dudes down in like what, South Carolina that were mm-hmm. they were like a bar band that had like this dude in Rucker who could write a melody. That's how they always sold it too at the time where it was like America's best little bar band. Yeah. That sold 15 million copies. It kind of sounds like a uh, what it sounds like, Bob, is like a bar band that could write songs and then they went to a studio and then it got wildly produced. Yeah. There was a there was a band when I was in college that I saw a couple of times just because they were around a couple of bands, but there was this one band named Jonasay, and this is 1990. Jonasay, like the pop, like the uh, R&B guy. What was it, Jodeci? Jodeci, that's Joe Dussey. This so is what is jo- this? Jonasay. That's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. Maybe that's why they didn't make it, but they were a band that played music like this. Like they wrote original songs. I think they had like some connection where it's like the lead singer hung out with the guy from Vertical Horizon. Like, it wasn't like, uh, they weren't anywhere close to ever having a hit or being a national band. They were just a band that played in Baltimore. But they sounded, they probably wrote songs that were like a half step below this. Right. Maybe a full step, but it's not too far off from this. Step and a half. For Hootie to just be this kind of like bar bandy band in 1993 that signed this deal... And America was like, this is what we want. That is a fluke. That's like a one in a million kind of thing. It is. That's what Hootie is. Yeah. Ultimately. One in a million. Like, it, there will never be. And that song, was again, another forgettable song was called Drowning. You were mostly pouring vodka into your cup while, you, <laughs> while that was on, though. But let me just, like, uh, getting back to it, Bob, how big this album was. I read that that intro, but. How how many albums do you all right? How many albums do you think is sold, Bob? Didn't you say fifteen? Did I say fifteen? You said fifteen. Is it more than that? Yeah, I was a guess and I was wrong. I would guess twenty-four <clears throat> billion. In nineteen ninety-five, it shipped ten and a half million that year alone. That's a lot. That's a lot of albums. It eventually shipped twenty-one million by May of this year. It is the joint. 19th best-selling album of all time in the United States. How about that, Bob? Is, uh... How did this happen? <laughs> like, honestly, I guess... I know a lot of this podcast seems to go back to 9-11, but it seems like pre-9-11 America at its peak that a band, that Hootie and the Blowfish could be the album that literally like 27% of the country owns. Yeah, that we were like, this is it, guys. This is the one thing we could all agree on. Well, it's because it was a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Uh, Darius Rucker was a lovable front man. They had a dumb name, so it was, an, it was easy to find if you were at a Target. Were there Targets yet? I don't remember there being a Target in 1994. <laughs> Are you okay? Too much vodka? I forgot to pour the mix. Oh, wow. That was straight vodka. This is going to be a fun back half of the album. Holy shit. Oh, Dan's dead. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. You're like all the frat boys listening to Hootie back in 94, just drinking straight vodka out of a green straw. 
it reminds me of like college. It was like, oh, dude, we don't. What are we gonna do shots of? I, we don't have tequila or Jägermeister. Uh, here's this cheap vodka. I never fully speaking of vodka. I never fully came back from that time. We were at our friend Brian's house in high school, where we were like, oh, we need to get drunk, and we went. We raided his parents' liquor cabinet, and we just passed around a bottle of crap vodka. Oh my god! With no mixers, I've never come back from liking vodka. After. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, Bob, you ready? Here's my. F- I'm gonna say it. This is my favorite Hootie song. As much as I hate, um, only want to be with you and this album I kind of hate so far, <laughs> despite holding my hand, which I do like. Still. I like that too. This is my favorite Hootie song. Really. Why you punish me? Oh yeah, you do like this song. I forgot about like it. Like a wave into the shore, you wash away my dreams. Pretty good. Time, why you walk away? Like a friend with someone. Can you teach me about tomorrow and all the pain and sorrow running free? Cause tomorrow's just another day and I don't believe in time. That's me. I'm all into it. (laughs) I'm all in. I remember you liking this back then. Yesterday and today. I love it. No, I didn't like it. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. I still don't like it. I don't know why. I like that circular like guitar riff. And I do. I like the lyrics. I like the delivery. I like the melody of it. I'm all in. You're all into time. Still, to this day. And this was the fourth single. And at this point, they were just rolling. So anything that came out was going to be on fire. Especially, so Only Want to Be With You was kind of like a big time summer song. Huge summer song. Yes, I remember that. That was summer 95? Yes. I remember that. I was at... uh, sleepaway camp that summer right and i just remember like the bus ride to camp that being on the radio on the way there <laughs> and it was just like one of those songs where like you know we were in cabins Wait, hold that thought i like this part. okay you can see me in my garage so really having a good time like <laughs> standing next to each other at the garden like, like yeah go to second not on the floor but we're kind of in like the mezzanine it's like hey man you want to you want to drink now and then phoebe's like no i'll get it i'll get it for you guys enjoy the song i know you like it because she doesn't really care she's just there for fun right see i thought you and joey would have been getting beers for the group and then you hear the beginning of this like you're ta like coming and you're like oh and joey's like, not at the show he can't afford it. oh that's right see yeah. you know better than i do yeah. joey is a broke actor yeah. This is before General Hospital. He's not Dr. Drake Ramore at this point. We're going deep. We're going deep. <laughs> anyway, it, so this was yeah, like the I, I was back to say, school this, single. This was pumping out of every radio when I was at this camp in like central New Jersey. Any radio that was on was playing the song that summer. Not this, Time? This song. Sorry, or, not this song. Yeah, I only yeah. want to be with you. Yeah. 
So anything that came out after Only Want to Be With You is going to be huge. And this one went top, this went to number 14, uh, reached number one in Canada. Any Canadian listeners out there? I don't think so. I like them. I feel like they haven't really caught on. I do like, I think they have good taste. Do we, do we have to do a Ryan Adams album to get them? If you are a Canadian listener, hit us up because whenever we do, we don't believe you're there. This show, I, I tend to like when I see things like this that this was number fourteen in the U.S. but number one in Canada. It's like the yeah. number one song in all of the country. Because it's, it's a happy, they're a happy country. It's a happy song. It was like, yeah, this is us. Um, I do remember because I had speaking of VHS tapes, and I used to tape a lot of videos. A lot of them would be on Alternative Nation, which would not mm-hmm. be Hootie. But then I, every once in a while, like at the like the eight p.m. hour, they would do some type of like top ten countdown. Mm-hmm. And I remember this video, which was a collection of live performances. I remember that. All right, you ready? Fuck yeah! That's it, Bob. That is, by the way, the the, the run of singles. Okay. Here's "Look Away." Sounds like he's going through some shit. We did, um, in the fall of 95, we were both in the same, it was my one and only, um, play that I was in, not counting the senior show. Mm -hmm. Much Ado About Nothing. Yes. Was that fall. Which, by the way, I was not aware that this was a thing until I was there, but it was a, a goldmine, Bob, to kind of get in with cute girls. That's that's what I did. That was brilliant, Bob. Thank in you. retrospect, I didn't know, because I played a lot of sports. Like, I got cut off the basketball team that year, and I said, fuck, what am I going to do? I went to the drama. Mm-hmm. And I never had so many girls interested in me by the end of that play. You were just in this group where you were hanging out every day after school for like two to four hours you were not on stage a lot because you know if you're not like a main lead you're just hanging out right and it's usually six guys and 40 girls right and you know half of the guys of that six three to four you know maybe not the type of guys that are going to be into the other three or four that are going to be looking at the other 40 right you know catch my drift and that led to a lot of fun. That was fun. I look back at that with a lot of um, positive memories uh, of my that era of high school. My main memory of you doing that play was uh, we there was a girl that we decided kind of looked like a, a Triceratops. Oh, shit. <laughs> Did we write a numeric pigeon song about it? Nope, her? we didn't do that. Good. But... Uh, there was one scene or one, uh, one, one scene. Yeah. One scene in the play where it was like a wedding and you and I were sitting <laughs> next to each other and the music that was playing during the wedding, it sounded like the Jurassic Park. We, theme. It sounded like the Jurassic Park theme. So every oh. time it started, we would just start laughing <laughs> so hard because she was walking down the oh, aisle. Girl, she's such a nice girl. She was so nice. She yeah. has no idea. She was walking down the aisle and you and I would just look at her and hear this Jurassic Park music and start laughing so hard that we would get That's, yelled at. 
by the director. That's yeah. And I think we were separated, but then that was worse because we could see each other from across the way, and we would both be doing that thing where you're just la- like <laughs> trying so hard not to laugh, and you're just hearing this. And it's a poor girl who you think looks like a triceratops. There was oh, nothing funnier. I know. Here's not even the trees. By Hootie and the Blowfish off Cracked Rear View. Little boy says to me, where you going now, son? I said, I don't know where I'm going, boy. I only know where I'm from. Yeah, there, I mean... There were a lot of good memories of doing a drama. And I did, the next year, I did make the basketball team. I didn't play a lot, but I made the team. And I have to say, like, all things considered, it probably w- I probably should have just done the play again <laughs> because maybe I would have gotten to second base at that point. I always did both because I wasn't really good at sports and I wasn't really good at singing or dancing or acting. So I was like good enough to like kind of get on the team and never play and good enough to get in the play, but not have a lead. So I was able to do both. I remember you saying to me, you were like, listen, I may not be the best athlete out there and I may not be a great singer, but I know how to schmooze with that gash. (laughs) I wish that was me. That was the greatest. I like that guy. And I'd be like, whoa, Bob, that's kind of out of character for you. But I'm like, oh, I guess you're, you're comfortable in that world. Well, junior year, if you remember, like, once you start junior year, from, like, day one, it's who are you going to take to prom? Because, like, it's your first prom. Well, I like, mean, what, a, what, a, what an anvil hanging over you. It's a big deal. And I remembered, like, doing whatever the drama was that year and sitting in, like, the circle where everybody's doing some lame game where you're, like, tapping your legs and saying something about whatever. And looking around the circle, being like, one of you is going to be my date to the problem. <laughs> I don't know who it is yet, but it's going to be one of you. Um, and it was one of them. And right? It was, yeah. It was. Yeah. It worked was the out. great Miranda, yeah. as we've talked about on this podcast. We have. Did she listen to the show? Definitely not. We've been doing this podcast for two years. Of course she came up. Dated for like two years. My junior prom date is Sarah, who we are still close with this to the day, to this day, who also has never listened to this podcast. I think she does listen. Does she? Uh Uh-huh. No, she doesn't. Yeah, you're in trouble. No, she doesn't. All right, hey, all right. This is the penultimate track on uh, Cracked Your Review. Before we get to that. What? What do we got? We have the best fucking Patreonies in the game, bro. Yeah, we do. I mean, who's even close? Nobody is even close. So let's take a sec to hear a word from one of our sponsors. Do we want to do it now? No, no. Okay. All right, Bob, back to the show. And I have to say, Bob. Give me one not back to the show just in case we don't have to do it. So okay. just go, go speak. Okay. All right, Bob, here is the next track. And I have to tell you this, Bob. I, speaking of Much Ado About Nothing, the Shakespeare play that we performed together. More than performed, I think masterfully and, performed. <laughs> I believe that we were the Watchmen. You're one right. One and two. You're right. Um, this is the song... During that play, someone in that production gave me their copy of Cracked Rear View, which was probably a precursor for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That CD started passing around and probably ended up in a lot of used record bins. So I got this album for free. And for whatever reason, I remember this track, and I haven't heard it, Bob, in probably 20 years, easily. I used to listen to this on repeat. 
goodbye. Oh, it's so sad, and I can—I already know why I listened to it. Oh, I can't wait. All right, here we go. know this song <laughs> it's a great song now love is gone and you're into someone far away i never thought the day would come when i would see his hand not mine holding on to yours because i could not find a time listen to rocker here about I'm a sucker for like late album ballads, especially when the piano's prominently involved. It's the only time you like the piano. When Ben Folds <laughs> tries to play a piano for the entire album, you're too good for it. I like it in moderation. Okay. And I, I feel like Darius and the rest of the Blowfish <laughs> did a nice job here. But I, I mean, I, I remember listening to this album. I could picture you listening on my... Uh, my parents stereo upstairs and like I would listen to it I, I didn't want anyone to know that I would be listening to a song this emotional of course no it's just like it's it's funny I would like to instill in my sons I hope if, if I if I can do nothing else as a dad other than support them and, and financially support them and be there emotionally is like it's okay to like listen to sad songs and be into them. Yeah. But for me at that time, it was like, it was a shameful thing. I needed to hide it. Like this, the song is a song. I don't want anyone else to know that I like. Yeah. Which is weird in retrospect. They're, well, they're going to, if they are emotional and crying, they're going to hide it from you. Like there's no way. Right. This is part of the, uh, just how you develop. You have to hide it. That's you true. need to like process this by yourself. So like, but I would listen to the song and I'd be like, oh, I love this fucking song. And then you would think about whoever your crush was and mm-hmm. all that. So you, and then you could easily adapt it to who you were, who you liked at the time. So this song to me, I think about that. and It puts me right back into that place. Just thinking about that Triceratops. Oh, man. She, I mean, she could use her horns <laughs> both to defend herself against enemies. And, and cuddle. <laughs> and cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is the other. This is a song that the only non-single, honestly, that I have any connection to is "Goodbye." Yeah, I've never heard it. it. Sounds like a beautiful song. It's a very nice song. His voice is tiresome at this point to me, mm-hmm. but it's a great song. You know, it's kind of like a common theme, by the way, of uh, our podcast. Is there's very few albums where you don't kind of get sick of them by the end. Well, I think is that this, a twenty? Is that a two thousand nineteen thing? I don't know. I think this is a very specific kind of thing. I think because we're coming off the offspring that we did a few weeks ago, where it was the same thing, where it was like a whiny voice. I think Darius Rucker has such a distinctive voice 
that at a certain point, it's a lot to take. It's a lot to take. Yeah. Says the County Crows fans. But yeah, yeah. Fair enough. All right, here's the final track on Crack Your Review. One of the, honestly, I'm not even fucking with you guys. One of the most popular albums that's ever been released. <laughs> Look it up. It's by real. humans. It's real. Crack Your Review, Motherless Child. Did it? Did it? Did you? Did you hit play? No, I mean it's playing. This is the. Song? Oh, that's it. That was it. That was it. What, what no, just happened? <laughs> Clearly, as much as Some as up. much as I loved, um, <laughs> goodbye. You immediately just got up and <laughs> okay. threw your fucking stereo out the window. I just I just finished jerking and then I was done. <laughs> no, you just passed out in your own tears. So there you go. So weird that was it, though, Bob. By the way, Bob, weird goodbye definitely registered on the Richter scale as a youth. It, it does hint at that like deep sadness that's tucked into every adolescent. It's just like just trying to figure things out, and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of like highs and lows, and then you could just fall into the good goodbye in this case trap. Right. And you listen to it over and over and over again. Right. I can't believe we made it all the way to the end of the album without talking about harassing people in AOL chat rooms back in 1995. <laughs> Should we save it for the next 1995 it's pod? It's come up again. It'll come up again. Yeah, let's save it for a countdown pod, maybe. <laughs> um, all right. Before we get, Bob, before we get to uh, the the choice for the Spotify playlist. Very important. It's vitally important. Usually when I do um, ask you this, Bob, there are a lot of choices. <laughs> 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 I, you don't have to finish the sentence. Just play the fucking song. I know exactly where we're going. Usually, you know, on this only, show. Only, only two men with a shared history that goes back this long would immediately, without being, without a word being uttered, know that the next song to be played will be Old Man and Me of Fairweather Johnson without anything else being said. This was, <clears throat> we should, Bob, you handle this because. So, despite. If there's ever been, like, there needs to be an explanation for everything that just happened right now. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Cracked Beer Review sold 21 million albums. Their next album flopped. The lead single. Name of the album Fairweather Johnson. Nailed it. The lead single off that album was this song, Old Man and Me, which Dan and I, for whatever reason, Quite from day of, <laughs> fucking loved. <laughs> All in on this from day one. We bought in. We bought in. We didn't buy the album, but we bought in. And you Is know there what? A lot of planes taking off in the video. I that kind of remember right, right? that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's still fucking great. <laughs> it's a great song. It's a good song, and they never. That's why they're an outlier in honestly the history of kind of a out our adolescence of popular music. No band ever sold twenty million. And then just, that was it. Yeah. 
That was it. Even Alanis Morissette, she sold all those albums, and then she kind of, it was like a, a downward trajectory in terms of her popularity, but she still had hit singles. Maybe the Spin Doctors. Maybe it. the Spin Doctors. They didn't they sell didn't 20. They didn't reach as high, but they fell as hard. I will throw one more song out there, bro. Is it going to be Wild One, his solo? Uh, oh, fuck his solo shit. Okay. Because I, I, I remember, I, don't have time for I remember we stuff. we were laughing about that because he was trying to be sexy. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of tied all together. So I would say, uh, "Old Man and Me" is my favorite. Same. Post. Uh, it's my favorite. It's single. my favorite Hootie is song. Is it really? Period. Yeah. Really better than "Hold My Hand." It's maybe T one time for one. Bob just invented a term called T1. No, if it was in it's the newspaper, if it was in the newspaper, <laughs> they would both be on the top and you would see that little T-1. But since we've been talking about Friends and, we, and Ross and you're wearing the mezzanine and, and Phoebe, who, by the way, also was not a big earner, but Courtney Cox, maybe, maybe Monica had booked a gig as a chef and was able to bring her Front friend her a Phoebe. Little bit, so, right. And also Phoebe, Phoebe Fox. Yeah, she's probably find a guy there to buy her drinks. You always bring her to the concert. Yeah. So let's say she's there and she's getting her drinks. Off the Friends soundtrack, Bob. Did you even know that was a thing? I did know it was a thing. One of their better songs, not on Crack the Review. This would be my essential post-Crack the Review song. Okay. Oh, yeah, I remember this song. Is that the uh, was that the bland white guy with the long blonde hair trading lyrics with uh, yeah. Darius? Yeah, Curly Sue on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. All right. No way what Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. All right. So now it's time, Bob. It's time to pick a song for the Spotify playlist, and I think it's clear to everyone listening how Goodbye, connected how connected you are to this album. <laughs> I defer to you. Really? Are you gonna do that? I, I am, but please don't pick time. You you don't want me to pick time? I don't like time. I still don't like time. Okay, I won't pick it. Okay, thank you. I won't do that to you. <clears throat> so I'll obviously pick this. All right. Hold my, hold my hand. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bob. That was masterfully played why, by me. Why was this weirdly, maybe it's because I've been drinking a lot of vodka. Why has this been Straight. kind of an emotional journey? I feel like we've accomplished something tonight because it wasn't an important album to either of us. No, I don't. I never owned it. Even when I would see it at the UCD place for like 69 cents, I never grabbed it. And I, I would, I never, I didn't buy it, but somebody literally gave it to me. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say on the set of much of it. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not really a set, not a set, but in the auditorium, but there was a real life triceratops. It's like not on the set. It's in the auditorium of Much Ado About Nothing, which, you know, housed the Triceratops, which is a big deal. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> but it does feel like it, it is here. This is why, Bob. It's a seminal album of our adolescence. Whether, of course. And whether you were a guy that was into Bad Religion or Nirvana mm-hmm. or you were into, you know, Biggie Smalls and Tupac, 
there was no avoiding Cracked Review in 1995. Yeah. You couldn't if, do it. If you didn't like it, your mom did, or your sister did, or your cousin did. There was, or it your was friends everyone. did. Or your friends did. Or the friends did. The friends? Brought it all around. You can't beat that. All right. Uh, follow us on Twitter at ThrowbackPod. Email Bob. I mean, Bob is, he's essentially the modern Dear Abby. But only for nasty shit that no one else would want to talk don't, about. I don't want, don't do that. Please. The throwbackpod at gmail.com. Also on Instagram, which is a popular uh, social media format uh, that deals mostly <laughs> in photos. Thank you. <laughs> We're also the throwbackpod. Uh, and thank you to the Patreones. And if you want to help us out, you can give as little as two bucks. You can go all the way up to 80. We don't even, we honestly, we never did this for money, so we don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want, but help us out. Yeah. Tip your podcaster, uh, patreon.com slash throwback pod. We love you. But, but also, but also, go ahead, Bob. but also, go fuck yourselves.